IMDb Journey podcast, where we break down every movie from the top 250 and give our thoughts, our reviews, and any general discussion along the way. My name is Daniel Henderson, and I'm almost certain that Dean could never catch me if he tried. And I'm Bruce Wayne, and I've got another lame joke for you, Hendo. Knock, knock. Who's there? Go fuck yourself. (laughs) (laughs) And today we'll be breaking down Steven Spielberg's Catch Me If You Can. Dean. G'day, mate. How's it going? What's going yeah, on? Yeah, good day, brother. What's yeah. going on, man? Oh, uh, you know, not much. Not much. How's your week been? It's been all right. It's been all right. Work's been good. Has it? It has been. Well, lucky you. Yeah. I found out recently that the store that I work in as the store manager is uh, the one of the 10 best stores in the nation. Very impressive. Bravo to you, Henry. Thank you very much. All that hard work is paying off. How about you, friend? What's going on? Not much, to be honest. Been working lots. Haven't watched a lot of movies, haven't played golf, really nothing exciting at all. Very, very boring. We did have a bit of fun, though, a couple of days ago, didn't we, with a little movie mass debate? Yes, no, we debated It Chapter 1, which was a lot of fun. Good to um, let off some steam there. Yes, (laughs) as if we're not going to do it today. (laughs) Well, are we? (laughs) I don't know. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. I doubt it. Yeah, probably not. (laughs) This might be a very friendly, friendly episode. Well, it's a friendly movie. What else are we doing today, Hendo? Well, after the breakdown, we're going to take a look at some of the reviews that you, the listeners, have given us about the movie. And then we'll take a look at the question of the week that we asked you guys, which is, what is your favourite cat and mouse film? Hmm, bit different. Yeah, looking through the list of supposed cat and mouse films, there's a lot of great films. Yeah, I think some of them really stretch that cat and mouse category, though. That's all right, though. It's for us to judge. (laughs) And of course, we'll take a look at who won the competition overall, and then we'll check out last week's Pod v Pod draft results between ourselves and Julio and Alex from the Contrarians. No doubt, it's another super close one. Super, super tense. And then after we look at those results, we'll take a look at some more results of the back half of the final 32 of our best 1990s film tournament. Yes, there's lots of fun results there. We love our results on this show. It's all of our results. (laughs) And then after all the results... We're going to look at what film we're going to be doing next, which is my choice this time. Can't wait. Give me the update. All right, Hendo. How's that IMDb Top 250 list looking? Lots of movers and shakers. Not really this time. Is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood still there? Yeah, it didn't move. Oh, really? Yeah, no move for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood this week. Jesus. The biggest move here is, in fact, Toy Story 4. It's gone down 11 spots to 209. Would that be a movie that you'd want to snap up and review? Maybe you'll find out later. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> The only other big movements here is actually Avengers Endgame has dropped four more spots down to 37, which has moved up The Pianist, Back to the Future, and The Lion King. Still super high. But we have a new entry into the list. Is it Joker? No. It is a 2019 film. Just qualified, 25,000 votes. Sitting at number 83 now is Parasite. Number 83? Yes. Wow. 8.3 at the moment. And considering I would say not a lot of people will say it, or at least, I think the people who will see it will like it. It's not like you don't see the rating going down too low. It's not like the general, like American Australian audiences are gonna, you know, all watch it and half of them not like it and rate it lowly. Like I think if you're watching Parasite, you're probably a bit of a cinephile and you probably would appreciate it. Yeah, since that film has come into the list, the only film to drop out of the list now is Les Samurai. So very small movements in this week's. Update of the top 250. Fair enough. All right, before we get into Catch Me If You Can Breakdown, just a quick heads up. We will be spoiling this film from the get-go, so if you haven't had a chance to see it, look out because there will be spoilers from the jump. And with that being said, let's get into Catch Me If You Can. Are you a real life pilot? I sure am, little lady. The jump seat is open. It's been a while since I've done this. Which one's the jump seat again? Dr. Connors to the ER. Dr. Connors to the ER. 
This is irrefutable evidence that the defendant is lying. Special Agent Hanratty, FBI. Hello, Carl. You're gonna get caught. It's like Vegas. The house always wins. Some nuts flying around the country posing as a pilot. Call him the James Bond of the sky. Hello, pusher. This is by far the best date I have ever been on. He's a kid. That's why he doesn't have a record. 30 milligrams of codeine every four hours. Do you concur? I concur. Dr. Harris. Yes? Do you concur? Concur with what, sir? <laughs> Ma'am, I'm sorry to have to tell you your son has fought you checks. I have a payroll check here I'd like to cash. I'm working part-time at the church now. Just tell me how much yours and I'll pay you back. $1.3 million. So, Catch Me If You Can, released in 2002, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Tom Hanks, Christopher Walken, Martin Sheen, and Amy Adams, with the screenplay by Jeff Nathanson, based on the book by Frank Abagnale Jr. and Stan Redding, with music by John Williams. Yeah, I didn't realise it was John Williams. Do you know much about John Williams? What does that even mean? I, I mean, I know he's a composer and he's done a lot of famous scores. Do you know he's been nominated 37 times at the Academy Awards? No, I did not. Five wins? I mean, if you said he'd won five Academy Awards, you'd go, wow, that's incredible. But five from 37, you know, maybe lift your game, old John boy. Some of those years were nominated more than once. That's oh, how he really? piled them up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's had wins for, obviously, original scores for Schindler's List, E.T., Star Wars, Fiddler on the Roof, and Jaws. You can see a kind of pattern there, as he is generally... Spielberg. All Spielberg. He's done the majority of the Spielberg films. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yep. He's done all the Star Wars films, Home Alone 1 and 2, the first three Harry Potters, and even the original Superman. So he's got a pretty good resume under his belt. Yeah, no. Truly an incredible composer. Cinematography by Janusz Kaminski, Oscar winner. Janusz Kaminski, two-time Oscar winner for Schindler's List and Saving Private Ryan. And as you can guess, he is a Spielberg regular as well. Obviously, yep. Edited by Michael Kahn, three-time Oscar winner. Oh Michael my Kahn God. For Saving Private Ryan, Schindler's List, and Raiders of the Lost Ark. So it again, to be friends with old Steven exactly, Spielberg, doesn't it? Pretty much done all the Spielberg films as well. Crazy. And obviously directed by Steven Spielberg, the man himself. So this film was nominated twice at that year's Academy Award. It was nominated for Best Original Score for John Williams, but lost to Frida. I haven't seen Frida. No, nah, me neither. Doesn't look yeah. like my kind of film. No, nah, me neither. It also lost Best Supporting Actor for Christopher Walken to Chris Cooper for Adaptation. Oh, I mean, I can't argue with that. Yeah. But man, I'm glad I'm glad Walken got nominated. You know, I, I need a nomination. He's not even like that in I this I know. Film. He's so, like, mellow in yeah, this film. Yeah, he's, he's much different in this. So this film, this story, man, it had a long and difficult journey to get to the pitches. How so? Well, let's travel back to the 1980s where Frank Abagnale sold the rights to his autobiography. It was actually going to be made in 1981 with Dustin Hoffman playing Frank Abagnale. Okay. I feel like he's not boyish enough for it. By that point, I think he'd done Kramer versus Kramer, so it's about that age. Not graduate that's Dustin a, Hoffman. That's almost like middle age. Yeah, exactly. I don't think I would think that's not that good. How old was Leo in this, like roughly? Do you know? Well, I think the difference with Leo is he looks a lot younger than what he actually is. He'd be closing in on 30 at this point. Nah, he's early 20s. He's about, early 20s. Yeah, he's about 20. He's about 27, 28. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> while, I, while I do my math. <laughs> yeah, so obviously the film didn't go ahead in 1981. Uh, about two years later, actually, the rights were sold to producer Hal Bartlett, who actually died before the project found a distributor. So Bartlett's widow sold the rights to Hollywood Pictures, and when the project went into turnaround yet again, the rights were sold to TriStar Pictures. From there, the project was presented to Steven Spielberg, who was at DreamWorks Pictures, but producer Michael Shane purchased it for Paramount Pictures in 1990. 
and that stayed pretty much in the slot for about seven years when Barry Kemp purchased the rights, to which he then bought it to DreamWorks, and Jeff Nathanson wrote the script. They should make a movie about this, Hendo. I mean, it's a pretty interesting tale. Interesting's a stretch. Well, let's get to the good stuff now. David Fincher was actually going to direct this. That would have been a different film. Yeah, but he actually got off the project to do Panic Room instead. So as Steven Spielberg was signed on to be the producer now, he originally wanted Johnny Depp as Frank Abagnale at that time. Yeah, I could see that. But that didn't happen. Obviously, Leonardo came into the role at that point, and they got Gore Vavinsky to be the director at that time. Of Pirates of the Caribbean fame. I think at this point, didn't he do The Ring? He could have. Yeah, I think he did. They actually had James Gandolfini as Carl Hanratty at this point. Well, that would have been good. Yeah? Different character. Not as friendly. <laughs> How's this for the original cast as well? Ed Harris as Frank Senior. Good. And Chloe Savini as Brenda. Well, that would have made for a very happy uh, Frank Abagnale Jr., wouldn't it? I'm just going to leave that for <laughs> the people who would get that. <laughs> But in the end, the production had to be pushed back because DiCaprio was still in the middle of Gangs of New York, which means that Gore Verbinski dropped off the project. So Spielberg was actually going to get Lasse Holstrom. You don't remember this guy? Who? Hutchie? A dog's purpose? That guy. Oh, nice. <laughs> you would have been loving that. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately, or fortunately, I guess, he actually did drop out too, which meant that James Gandolfini had the drop out because he had to go back to doing Sopranos, as well as Ed Harris and Chloe Savini. So in the end, those people all had to drop out because of Leonardo DiCaprio shooting another film at that time. And then at that point, all the actors who you see now got the roles. I mean, it makes sense that they did move heaven and earth to keep Leo on board. Yeah, I mean, he was very well-known Titanic at this point. Yeah. Yeah. They- he's, he's a huge star. Absolutely. But they didn't have a director yet. Spielberg actually offered it to Milos Foreman. Is there a reason he wasn't doing it already? He didn't want to. He was he was he actually had some projects still going with Big Fish and Memories of a Geisha, which he eventually <laughs> sent away to do this role, to oh, do this okay. to role of director. Okay. Even had Cameron Crowe in consideration as well for the directing role. That would have been cool. Hmm. So after all that, that's the, that's the people you get for this film, this journey, this 20-year-long journey of this book. Crazy. The book, by the way, I have read and is awesome. Apparently about 80% of it is true, according to Frank Abagnale Jr. Yeah, I wish I hadn't read that. Because that really means like one-fifth of the book is crap. Whereas you kind of expect reading an autobiography that 100% would be true, no? Well, I mean, this guy did play in, uh, <laughs> you know, fiction in his life. Yes, he did. So during the film, they do show Frank in the uh, FBI's Most Wanted list, when in fact in real life he was never on that list because that was left for the violent criminals. I guess they wanted to perk him up in the film like, this is how bad this guy is. <laughs> Problem is, he's so likable. <laughs> <laughs> so get this right. Frank Abagnale, the real Frank Abagnale, didn't like the choice of DiCaprio because he thought he wasn't suave enough. Which is ridiculous. He definitely changed his mind after he saw the film. Had he not seen The Great Gatsby? You mean The Great Gatsby that was coming out like 10 years later? Obviously. Are you sure? Yes. <laughs> it's also funny because the irony here is that Frank Abagnale Jr., Junior. Junior was known for looking like an adult at such a young age, Hmm. whereas Leo in Hollywood is known for, even though he's, you know, pushing 30, he can still play a 15-year-old and it's semi-believable. Yeah. We talked a little while ago about, on Casino, how Robert De Niro had so many different costumes that he went through. DiCaprio had 100 costume changes through this film. Really? Yeah. God, I wouldn't have picked that. All the different um, uniforms he went through, the suits, the regular clothing he wore. I mean, I guess... Spends a lot of it in pilot's uniform, though. Oh, not as much as you think. Yeah, I guess. So the production made use of around 157 locations throughout North America. That's a ton of different locations. Yeah, it's a lot. But this film did premiere on the 16th of December in 2002 with the tagline of the true story of a real fake. 
It's a great tagline. That's a great tagline. Great tagline. I love those play on words. That's that's what you need a tagline to be. Yep. With a runtime of 141 minutes, was filmed in 52 days. Fuck. It's quick. That is quick. There's a quick turnaround there. With a budget of roughly $52 million, it grossed $164 million in America for 11th for the year, and worldwide grossed $352 million also for 11th. I didn't realise it was that successful. Oh, it's a Spielberg film. Like, What Spielberg films are getting knocked back here? I guess, especially with Spielberg, Hanks, DiCaprio. Oh, yeah. This is like just And it's primed. quite family friendly. Yeah. I mean, not full family friendly, but, you know, 13 onwards is pretty good. It's a lot more family friendly than I remembered. Yeah. See, I actually started watching with this with my kids and got to a point where I was like, okay, yeah, you're that's done. Enough. Yeah, that's enough. <laughs> Plus, it does sort of promote... This likable liar a lot, which I was uh, maybe not a great message for kids. <laughs> <laughs> hey, kids, lie your ass off, and you'll you'll get get what you want. I sort of let them see him be mistreated in the French jail, and then sent them to bed. <laughs> that is what happens. <laughs> <laughs> but let's take a look at the history of this film in the IMDb Top Two Fifty. This took a long time to get into this list. It didn't debut in at a high number. It gradually peaked in at number two hundred and fifty at the end of two thousand fifteen. <sighs> Very recent. And since then has just gone a gradual line all the way up to where it currently sits now at number 193 with an average of 8.1 over 734,000 ratings. Solid. Yeah. Very solid. There's been, there was a very small downturn for a couple of months there, but other than that, it's just been naturally just going up. Now, Dean, it's your film. Do you have a plot summary for us? Of course. A seasoned FBI agent pursues Frank Abagnale Jr., who before his 19th birthday successfully forged millions of dollars worth of checks while posing as a Pan Am pilot, a doctor, and a legal prosecutor, among other things. Very good. All right, mate, let's get into it. This opening credits. I love this. This was fantastic. Yep. I wish all opening credits could be this relevant to the film. It's so good. It just feels like an old school 50s caper film. It actually reminded me of like Charade. Yeah. Good, good, good uh, comparison there. But it's just, it's playful. Like it sets the tone so much that even though you're going to see, you know, this huge criminal, the FBI is involved, it's not like that serious tale. It's this very playful cat and mouse story. But it also sets up when it's going to be set as well. Like you, you know immediately based off the like the score, the music, the way it's set. This isn't going to be set in like 1990. <laughs> yep, it's great. It was actually created by Oliver Kunzel and Florence Degas. They used a stamp style animation, which featured silhouettes of the actual main characters acting out the plot of the film, almost down to the smallest details. If you watch the whole thing, it's what happens in the film. Yeah. They said in an interview that they described this as a sequence of stylistically transposing the handmade design of Sol Bass using decidedly modern means and required that they actually get rubber stamps carved out of each individual character. I mean, whatever they did, super effective. Yeah, absolutely. But of course, we get this inspired by a true story. So you immediately get more focus like, oh, this actually happened. Yeah, and a story like this becomes so much better that it's true. Like, to have someone who's 18, 17, 16, doing all these insane cons yeah. is incredible. But all the teens out there when they're watching it, they're, like, they're loving this. Like, yeah, this could be me. This is me. But what would you make of this to tell the truth game show here? Well, it was good. Yeah, I liked yeah, it. Nice setup. It's actually true. This actually happened. This was an actual episode in which the real Frank Abagnale was a guest. And in that episode, no one guessed that he was the real Abagnale. He's a great liar. Exactly. That episode's actually out on YouTube. You can watch the whole thing. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> nice. But it also sets up what you're expecting here. 
they expl- they they tell you the whole story of Abignail. Are you going to be calling him Frank or Abignail? Frank. Okay, I'll go with Frank too. Yeah, I'm not writing in my notes Abignail every time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't write Leo. <laughs> nah, I mean walking is walking. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but no, 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 no. Frank, Frank, Frank. But here's where we get to 1969 with FBI agent Carl Hanready visiting the prison. And we already know that he's been captured. Yeah, and I think that's good. I think, you know, it's not a question of when you watch this, oh, is he going to get him? It's how. Yeah. You know, it's what's the journey? The whole the whole draw of this film is how did he do all this stuff? It's not how did he get caught? It's not what happened when he got caught. Like none of that matters. Like it's great that they say, right, he's going to get caught. Here's the story of what he did. Yeah. But it also sets up the relationship between Frank and Carl as well. Like this isn't a, you know, a vicious FBI guy trying I mean, to take Tom him Hanks. out. Yeah. Ex- exactly. Like <laughs> you never play that vicious part. if you try. <laughs> yeah. But it sets up that these guys are Kind of chummy with each other. I mean, yeah, for sure. When he sees Leo all bearded and, you know, coughing up a lung in the cell and he's just, you can see he's a bit worried. And when Leo's like, help me, it's like, okay, he cares because he actually cares about his well-being. Yeah, he doesn't want him to die. He spent, you know, a good part of his career trying to find this guy. It was funny where he was like, yeah, I'm not falling for that. (laughs) But he does. He does. <laughs> of course. But even this this running away here it was very... Telegraphed? Not telegraphed, like pointless. I mean, no, it, just, it shows that he will he will try to do whatever he has to do to escape at every at every point. Even if he is feeling like shit and ready to die, he's still going to try and get away. We'll just keep crawling. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Actually, the FBI officer in real life who was chasing Frank, his real name was Joe Shea. And in Frank's book, he put him under the pseudonym of Sean O'Reilly because at that time he was still working for the FBI. So he couldn't use his real name. Yeah. And he's actually passed away since. Oh. Yeah, don't laugh. I mean, it's pretty old. So. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Great job. Yeah. Yes. Appreciate the service, all that stuff. But let's get back to six years earlier, back in 1963, where you got Walken. Yeah. I was watching this. I'm like, hold on. So they've said he gets caught and everything before his 19th birthday. Is Leo meant to be 13 here? Yes. <laughs> I was like, I was like, ah! Are they trying to do the bail in Batman with the the the, flop, the, floppy, the floppy floppy hair? Yeah. I was like, I know you can play young, but <laughs> come on, mate, thirteen. <laughs> it's a bit much, but no. Here's where we get uh, Frank's dad, Christopher Walken. <laughs> <laughs> he he wins this award, and it's it's his interesting scene because not only do we see this great story from Walken here about you know the like, two the two mice the, the two, two mice the two mice, you know. <laughs> I can't even do it. It's too good. But we also see how proud Frank is of his dad. Like, if yeah. you watch closely, he's, like, the first to jump up and start applauding. He loves this story of the two mice. Oh, does he ever? And I think it's really important that we see how much he admires his dad because he is going to take a lot of his dad's um, deceptions and use them and build on them. Yeah. You see throughout the film that he keeps continuing to to come back and see his dad because he wants to help him. He wants him to be proud of him. Like, he still respects him in that manner. Oh, massively. Yeah, absolutely. But we're introduced to the the Abignail house. Very nice house. Yes, very nice wholesome family at this point. Fancy music playing. It's obviously Christmas. Sitting around, dancing. Dancing. Like, do people do this in real life? This is the early 60s. I'm sure, you know, no one's sitting around on their phones or YouTube. Tell you, I'm not dancing with my mum when I'm 13 in the living room. (laughs) (laughs) I'll give you the hot tip. (laughs) But Walken takes over the dancing roles and Frank just stares. Like, he's just, again, 
hammering home the point that he loves his parents. It's he all loves about family. his dad. He loves them together and happy. Like, this is... It's kind of amazing that he's going to end up running away for good. Yeah. Considering how much he loves his family here. But now we get the first con of the movie. Yeah, I forgot the Walken. Walken uh, was like this. Yeah, me too. Me too. So it's it's good. He wakes him up and Leo's like, oh, is it school time? He's like, nah, come on. We've got to get you a suit. Yep. It's just like. And you're thinking, oh, he's going to take him on like a job interview. He's going to go do something for him. No, no. It's all for it's all for Frank Sr. Yeah. For, and it's so pointless. He needs to give off this presence that he is this. No one is watching but, though. But he needs to do whatever he can. Even if one guy notices him doing this, it'll work. It was so much effort for so little payoff. I was like, what is he going to do? And it's like, oh no, he just wants the suit. So he can open the door for him and look like a valet when he rocks up to the bank. But as I said, no one's watching. But he doesn't know that. He's trying to do whatever it takes to get this loan. But it is here at the suit store where we get the first, oh, I found this necklace on the road. Uh, <laughs> that was good. Uh, I, think it's, I think it might be yours. <laughs> I think you uh, dropped it. I got this uh, gold watch. <laughs> But even here, like, it's not just that he's going to give her a necklace for it, but he starts lying. Oh, my grandfather. Yeah. 21 gun salute is a war hero. You know? <laughs> so we're going to be doing you know so much. But no, very clear where Frank gets his inspiration from. And it's here where we get one of the greatest quotes in the film as well. You know why the Yankees always win, Frank? Because they have Mickey Man? No. It's because the other teams can't stop staring at those damn pinstripes. Yeah, which comes back later on, of course. I mean, arguably, Frank models his whole career as a conman. Yeah. Based on this alone, where if you look the part and look look that fancy, no one will question you. But I also think he he takes to heart that story about the mice and how you just keep pushing and working hard. Don't be the mouse that drowns in the cream. Be the yeah. one that churns the butter. Yeah, don't be the one that gives up. Yeah, exactly. Keep, keep going. Pushing. But no go on the bank. Nah. All of it's for nothing. Very sad turn here. Yeah. And you start to get these big financial troubles. And they sell the car, but Walken, he does his best to like spin it as a positive thing. Yeah. Like, nah, nah, nah. I ripped him off. He overpaid $500. Exactly. Like, Whether or not that's true, he says it to Frank Jr. to to keep his spirits up. Yeah. And they have to sell the home. Like, it's rough. But we get to his 16th birthday. So is this three years in like out of nowhere? I guess, yeah. Are they having financial troubles for three years? Yes. Well, right. he's still having financial troubles That's true. That's three true. years he had, later. He has so. troubles throughout the entire film. Yeah. So, yeah, I can see that. He has 25 bucks in his account. I guess and that's a lot back in the early 60s. I mean, yeah, for sure it would be. And he gets these 50 checks. Like, use these wisely. <laughs> I thought this was going to be like a running thing. Like, you're going to see He's how only each, got 50. <laughs> yeah, like each check means something, which in, in reality, really, only the first check was sort of used for a purpose here. Did the checks ever come back? Did I miss... The- no, 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 no. The, the checks never come back. Yeah, okay. Um, but I think it's just important that he is going to make his money passing off... Fake checks. Fake checks. Yeah. And he gets given checks from his dad. Okay, like good point. It's all related to his dad. Yeah. But here's where we get Frank Jr.'s own first con, impersonating this teacher. This was great. Genius move. Where the bully of the class is like, you know, oh, you look like a substitute teacher or something. And he's just like, you know what? Fuck it. Yeah. And the whole time I'm thinking, all right, but where's the real substitute teacher? When is the actual teacher going to walk in but he and put this through with clothes? But when this old lady walks in, he's like, oh, don't worry. Yeah. I always cover her. It's fine. And she cracks the shits and walks out. I'm it's never like, going back here again. He does it for a week. Yep. And I love it how it's when so he gets good. he gets called in and 
He's, they're being told, like the parents are being told what he's been doing. And Frank Sr. just like, this is great. Like he's got a big grin on his face, like the big wink. Like this is awesome. Yeah. So as they're walking away, like Frank, Frank looks guilty. He looks sheepish. He's really unsure how this is going to be received by his dad. Yeah. Like he's really almost worried. And the dad gives one sideways look and he knows, oh, I did good here. Yeah, this that, is good. That is my tick of approval here. Like you did good, kid. That's basically what it was. Like, he was proud of him in a way for this Connie was able to run. But he also has this interaction with Joanna as well about the fake note. He's on top of it already. Yeah, I I like this scene too. Yep. Like, he's not someone who's is incredibly charming. He's great with people. Mm-hmm. And you see it here. Like, he's not being judgy with this girl at all. He's made her feel comfortable to the point where she's going to fold the note in an admittance of guilt yes. in front of him. So I thought that was important as well, showing his ability to actually... Identify a fake. Identify with people. Yes. Okay, good. Yeah, very good. But here's where it starts to go a little bit pear-shaped because Frank Jr. catches his mum with Frank Sr.'s mate, Jack Barnes. Jack Barnes. What a name. It's a strong name. name. It is a strong name. Yeah, actually played by Josh Brolin's dad, James Brolin. Married to Barbara Streisand. Not bad, if you're into that. (laughs) (laughs) I love how... His mum tries to not admit it, but still try and uh, feel out what's going on here. When she's like, oh, have some money. Take some money. She's like, you're not going to say anything, are you? Go, 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 because there's nothing to say. There's nothing to say. Yeah, but but you're not going to say anything, though. It's like, like, come on. But she buys him off. It's pretty pitiful. Yeah, of course. And he he knows. He slams the door. He's not silly. But it doesn't take long from here where they're getting a divorce. And this would be pretty rough, to be honest. I thought you were about to say, my... Like, I mean, it's a good scene. Like from the perspective of Frank Jr., how he's being he's being thrown at from three different directions here. What you need to be doing? Well, before we get to that, I like that when he walks in, he thinks, "Oh, this is just some other gentleman caller." Yeah, and he gets angry, mom. and he's like, "Get the fuck away from me!" Yeah, blah, blah, blah. it's like, "Yeah, cool, you show him." But now, even yeah, when he's being asked, like, uh, "There's no wrong answer. Just write a name down." You know, blah 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 blah. He looks to his dad for guidance. Like, yeah. He's, he's looking like, what What do I do? But he decides to run away. Run away. Run away. That's it. Yep. And then he's off on his adventure. Uses his first check at the train station. Yep. $3.50. Can I write you a check? But he must have used all these checks pretty quickly because he starts to make his own fake checks. And I like how this is set up. Showing like the, the carving off of certain checks and get, really getting into detail on some of these nuances of a check. Yeah, because he's been kicked out of his, his hotel room or motel yeah. room. Like he's... He's got to do something, so he gets the knife out, the rubber. It's all it's all good. No, but it's not good enough, though, because he's still getting rejected. He keeps going to all the different banks and, like, we do not take personal checks. And this scene where he's talking to the lady and he goes to reach into his bag and the camera goes down with him. I was watching this with Britt. I was like, oh, yeah. for sure, when he gets up... Someone else is there. A older man will be sitting yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> Can I help you, son? Like, oh, shit. But here's where he sees the pilot and the stewardesses in this glamorized shot. Yeah, I mean, this pilot's getting treated like God, isn't he? Yep, so this is what he wants to do now. He's looking at him like he's a superhero. Like, the respect that this, you know, this pilot commands from everyone. Like, you see the kid, like, can I have an autograph? Yep. Because back in the early 60s, like, flying is still a big, big deal. Like, it's not like now where you you just fly whenever everywhere you want for, you know, much cheaper prices and anywhere you want to go, you got a plane. Flying back then commercially, still a big deal. So a pilot is like a is a you know pretty high ranking job. I think even now a pilot's a high ranking job. Not as much as it was though back in the sixties. Yeah, I mean, I would still say pilots are very um, well respected. I and- didn't say it wasn't well respected. Now mm. I'd say it was more well respected back in the sixties. Fair enough. 
We get voiceover. We get our first Frank letter to dad, which is good because he says, I've decided to be an airline pilot. Not, I've decided to start studying to be a pilot or anything like that. Yeah. It's just, you know what? I want to be one right now. It's just this great play. He just wants his dad to be proud of him. So he's just doing, he's just giving him the most extreme description of what he's doing. Yeah. And he's, he's smart, posing as this school kid going in, trying to get all this information. Trying about. to get the badge off him. Oh, that, that bit yeah. was great where it's like, ah, oh, do you mind if I get a copy? Oh, you can keep it. That's <laughs> expired. What about that badge? No, they no, can't have that. <laughs> But even like learning about the the lingo, the jargon, you know, if someone asks, what sort of equipment are you on? Yeah. What does that mean? Like that's important stuff. And this isn't the only time he does it. He, while even though he's still dressed up as the pilot, he still continues to go back there as the student to keep getting more information. Yeah, because as we'll see later, like he goes back and the guy's like, ah, oh, did you see this newspaper where it's like this kid's going around <laughs> pretending <laughs> that's to awesome. be- That's awesome. And he's like, oh. <laughs> yeah. I love how he picks up the uniform. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I think this is very much a case of the times. Yeah. Because nowadays- no, no way that would happen. No, people, I imagine, from what I've seen, so much more trusting back then. Absolutely. If someone calls and said, I'm a pilot and I've lost my uniform, people don't think it's a scam. Yeah, it's now, now, we think everything is a scam. Everything get, is a scam. I get legitimate calls from banks and I'm like, nah, you're a nah. scammer. <laughs> I, I get calls like, hello, I hang up. I'm like, no, I know what you're going to do. Leave me alone. Even just the transition of him becoming this pilot and going back into the bank where the old guy told him to leave. And now he's like, how can I help you, sir? It's like, that's perfect. That shows exactly how far he's come. Yeah. Another good quote here. Dear Dad, you always told me that an honest man has nothing to fear, so I'm trying my best not to be afraid. It's good. It is. Yeah. It's, it's, and he says that to his dad, obviously, and it's it's really showing that, you know, it's he's sort of being honest with his dad. Like, he's yeah. saying he's not being honest. Like, he's saying, I'm lying here and I'm trying not to be afraid. So, I've, I actually really like the voiceover and the letters to dad. Because the thing, the thing with Frank, especially at this point in his journey, is he is incredibly alone. Mm. He has literally no one but these letters to dad to, to talk to. So, we do need to know what he's really thinking. And it's not like he has discussions with other people. No, he in, can't tell anyone what he's in doing. In any way that's at all honest. Like yeah. every discussion he has with everyone that isn't his dad or Carl later on is all bullshit. Yeah. So it's important we actually do see something from him that is true. Yeah, we need that human element to him. Yeah, exactly. It makes us as an audience empathize with him. But here's where he finds out that he can get some personal checks up to $100. Man, the way he does this. Using those stickers off the model aeroplanes. This is fantastic. And I like how it starts off with one and then yeah. you see the bathtub later just full of them. <laughs> but here's where he ends up as a deadhead on a flight to Miami. Just this, out this, of nowhere. This is a great scene. Like, he didn't like, re- are you my deadhead today? Like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm your deadhead. Yep. He's like, what's a deadhead? She's like, <laughs> 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 And here's where we get Alan Pompeo. To- it took me a little bit to realize it was her. Yep. Obviously, Grey's Anatomy. Yeah, Grey's Anatomy. Yep. Um, she's fine. I even love how you get a little bit of that youth from Frank here when he's sitting down and she's like, do you want a drink? He's like, oh, milk, please. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, not just that, but like this would most likely be him losing his virginity here. Oh, yeah, when he does the necklace trick to her as well. Yeah. Yeah. Of course course he's losing his virginity. He's having a ball. (laughs) Even tells her, this is the best day of my life. (laughs) And he moves on the tune bank here to Elizabeth Banks. Yeah, a lot of random, random people in yep. this. It's good the way he susses out each teller and ends up yes. on her. You know, she's one that he'll be able to charm and he'll be able to 
you know, sort of get. But I'm not sure if he actually went to her and sort of gets her on board and starts actually seeing her just to get more information about the banks because she gives him so much information. No, no, that's exactly what he does. Yeah, but he ends up falling for her. But I think that's just him as a young guy who hasn't got a lot of experience with all this, and I'm pretty sure that everyone he starts to tune like this, he's, uh, he's going to start to get feelings for. I like he does, he does it with Brenda later. I think she's special to him. Maybe he has a bigger affection for her because she's giving him all this information. Yeah, that's that helping. Well, that's what he values. So yeah, he learns about the routing numbers here. I think this is all fantastic. How he learns that if you change the routing number to a different part of the the country, the check's not going to bounce for like a couple of weeks or so. So he's got plenty of time to move on. Yeah. It's also good the way we find this out by cutting back to Carl and his team of FBI agents. And he's like the only one who cares. Yeah. Everyone else is laughing about it. And that makes us care more about him. Yeah. But this next scene here where Frank and uh, Walken actually meet up and have lunch at this fancy restaurant. This uh, fancy restaurant? Like when he... When he gives him the Cadillac, it's awkward. Yeah. I felt so bad for Christopher Walken here. And obviously credit to Walken for conveying that. Like he's obviously he was nominated, as we said. He really does put in a great performance. Yeah, he's like, I'm I came in on a train. I'm gonna leave in the train. Yeah. <laughs> but Frank is really shows his immaturity here where he thinks that his dad rocking up to his mum's in a Cadillac will win her back. Yeah, like, he's still trying to push them back together. And he does it right up until the end. Yeah. Like, it's it's sad how naive he is. But that's how much he loves and cares about his family. And I think that having that at the start, he watch, having him watch them dance, showing his, his affection for them, and that's really all he wants is just to be a family again. Yeah, and it's here we learn that Walken, you know, had to close his store. Yeah, really down in the dumps now. Yeah. <laughs> and we get that story again about when they when they met, like, when you met her, you know, yeah. didn't sp- he didn't speak a word of France. Six weeks later, she was my wife. He's, he's like, crying. So. Yeah, he's really trying to push it. And then we get this line, which I also really like. Where you going, Frank? And in this connotation, in this, this time that he says it, it's very much... Walken is admiring his son. Yeah. Like, he is one of the people in the restaurant that he's referring to who's sneaking looks at him, who's thinking, what crazy adventure are you going to get up to next? He says this in such a positive way. And what I love about it is that it comes back in another way later, which we'll get to. And he says, the rest of us really are suckers. Which they are. We are. <laughs> <laughs> Handwriting gets his two new his two new blokes. Yep. And they get that hilarious joke that you muttered earlier. Like it was really well. bad, wasn't it? Yeah, like, absolutely. It's... But obviously it's meant to be bad, but even it being meant to be bad, it still was too bad for me. Yeah. There's a few actual comedy, comedic bits in this film that do not land for me. What did you think of when they bring it back in a little bit even and they worse. cut away? Even worse. Yeah, because I think, I think it, it went on too long. Like, you know what he's going to say, but you know what he's going to say by the time he says knock, knock, but then it gets to who's there and then it, it still drags on a little bit. And you're like, oh, you could have cut it at like knock, knock. Yeah. And it might have been a little bit funnier. But it's just quite convenient that they're following these checks to this place. They're like, oh, he's he's still there. He's like, he's He's, still here. He stops. He's like, hold on. Your your customer? Like, what is he still here? It's like, yeah. Yep. So he races. 201. (laughs) Yep. Races upstairs, tells the other guys to hang back and keep an eye out, gets in there, and uh, he's there. And the scene is my. Excellent! Hit it again, Hendo. Excellent! I knew it. Is, I mean, is it's so obviously the best scene of the movie, it's isn't it? Right, like in it, this this movie is generally like good all the way through. It's it. very consistent. So this one, 
stands out for me, just this this interaction and how immediately suave Frank is to pull off this stunt. Well, it's not just, like, the music starts, the opening music starts. It's their first meeting. Here we go, they're meeting. And, like, Carl's in the room, like, with a gun drawn. Hands out, you know, arms up, all that sort of stuff. So cool. He flushes the toilet. Washes his hands. hands. It's calm down, it's all right. But even when he turns his back to him, you see him nervous as shit. Like, he's like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, what am I going to do, what am I going to do? He's like, relax. Yeah. You're late. Alan, Barry Allen. And I know they explain it later, but I was going to ask you, did you know who Barry no, Allen was? No, I didn't. Yeah, okay. Because we actually did see his Flash comics on the bed, I think, when Walken wakes him up to get the suit. Oh, really? I didn't yeah, see that. Yeah, we see Flash comics on his um, okay. bedside table. So It's a nice little touch. I thought it was, but it gets fully explained later, so... Much less of a little tidbit, I guess. I love how he's got the wallet ready to go for like the situation. It's just full of random, like the 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 labels, labels on the bottles. Labels, yeah. yeah, has it there ready to go? And the perfect perfect shot of the blind guy. Oh my god, that was so good. Yeah, he's like, yeah, we already got him. You know, that's he's my right, partner. Take down a look there. down there. He's like, and because he's guiding the head in, yeah. Like, it, um, Carl wouldn't know he's blind, and it looks like he's been taken away. Yeah, perfect. And I love how he gets out the room too. And he takes the typewriter and the checks and he says to Carl, all right, you stay here and make sure no one touches the evidence. It's fantastic. And and just- just (laughs) Wait, 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 wait. Your wallet. You hold on to it for a minute. I trust you. Oh, fantastic. (laughs) And even saying like, I trust you, delays how long it would take Carl to actually open the wallet. Absolutely. (laughs) And just Carl sitting there waiting and just the slow realisation of what is happening- to the point where he looks out the window and <laughs> you just see him like running away, looking back at him as well. It's fantastic. This scene was so good. Yeah, it really was. But we move on a little bit here and this is where he gets the the light mention of the James Bond in the air and in comes Goldfinger. That this was, is Oh man, this is so good. This was really good. I forgot all about this. They're actually showing like clips of Goldfinger yeah. and then we see the exact same suit, Leo. He suits up in the grey Connery suit. He gets the car. The Aston Martin DB5. Oh, it was fantastic. And just watching him in the cinema, watching Goldfinger, just enamoured with this guy. Oh my God. People think that I am this guy for the air. And it's fantastic. He even, did you even realise that when he gets the suit, he signs his name as Mr. Fleming? Yes, of course. Yeah. That was great. Yeah. That was great. But here's another cameo, Jennifer Garner. Jennifer Garner, playing the old prostitute. Yep, Steven Spielberg wanted her in for a quick role here after he saw her in Alias. She couldn't come in for a big role because she was still filming. I don't like Jennifer Garner. I don't think I like her in anything. Yeah, she's, there's, not, I don't, there's I don't, not a whole lot in terms of her main roles. I don't see the physical appeal either, and I think I'm alone there. Like, people act like she's very, very attractive, and yeah, she doesn't do it for me. She's okay. She's pretty smart here, though. She's like, you got all the money in the world and you buy a 55-cent pack of cards. It's like, well, what am I worth? (laughs) But he gets the jump on her. This is so clever. I love the way this scene went where it's like, well, I've only got this one for 1400 Oh, I can give you 400 (laughs) It's just like... Awesome. Yep, that worked this fine. this useless bit of paper for $400. But it's great because you see him fan past the thousand. So he knows what she's doing. Yeah. And he gets it back on her, which is great. And then he gets some Jennifer Garner love as well. Frank calls Carl. You don't want to talk about how Carl gets his clothes all pink? Unlucky for that guy. No. It's just showing how rough I mean, his life is I'm, at the moment. It's not just that, but it's it's also emphasising how great Frank's life is because yeah. it's cutting back and forth. Yeah. Like you're seeing the comparatively, you know, good and comparatively bad lives that these people are You're seeing the living. duality of the two leads here. Yeah. Yes, the conversation, the call. Christmas time, one, the first of several calls. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like when 
when Frank says to him where he actually is and come get me sort of thing, like watching it, I was like, obviously that's going to be the real place. Like that'll be the the kick at the end of this scene. But do you buy that Frank would do that? Is he actually saying it because there's no way they would actually go to that place? He's throwing them off even more by telling them? I think the movie's trying to tell us that he's really sad and alone right now. That's what I, yeah. He's sort of had enough and he wants to get taken in. I didn't know whether or not he was doing that to throw the scent off, or he's just yeah, or if he's just like uh, yeah, just come and get me. But it's just, it really comes from left field because from what we've seen, he's so positive about his life. Well, in real life, Frank Abagnale did say that this never happened. Yeah, like he didn't call any of the FBI guys for Christmas. He's saying, not the Zodiac. He was, he was saying like this is this logic is ridiculous. Like, why would I do that? I don't want the FBI to know where I am. Exactly. So yeah. that probably, I didn't know that. But So that probably explains why it did feel a little out of place. Yeah. But I think in a movie like this with DiCaprio and Hanks, you do want them interacting as often as possible. Of course. So this whole at Christmas calling time thing kind of makes sense for the film. But as you said, Barry Allen is the Flash. He also mentions the New York Yankees. So he's starting to piece together all these things. He's a kid because he loves his comics and he's from New York. So they go, after, you know, a little bit of investigating, they go to visit his mum. This is a good scene. Yep. Because we don't see see much of the mum. I thought this was quite funny how his, his FBI chum is trying to get the cake and while he's trying to get the information, he just gets the knife and puts, gives it to him like a stabbing motion. Yeah. Like, just grab the cake. That was good. And it's capped off with that nice little uh, joke at the end. Like, oh, I'll, ju- I'll just cover it. What's he owe? $1.3 million. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> but here's where Frank wants to become a doctor. And he meets Brenda, Amy Adams, looking yeah. very young. We get this scene, though, of him throwing a party and he gets really angry with all the guests. Yeah, because he loves all this high value stuff. Why is he throwing a party? He needs people around. He wants to have interactions with people. I don't know, like he's You said it, he's lonely. He needs he needs some sort of connection. Yeah, it's just odd. I felt it was a out of place scene for this character. But no, Amy Adams, the nurse. And he cons her, finds out about this patient. Yep. Am I forgetting? Was there a reason he wanted to know about this patient? That never came back, did it? As far as I know, no. it didn't. But this is really all about him becoming a doctor. Yeah. Actually I'm a doctor. <laughs> And he gets his forged documents going again. Yep. Great quality. Yeah, they all look fantastic, like super high credentials, and he ends up just taking the uh, the night shift for the emergency ward. I love when he's going through, like, roll call with these super smart, trained doctors, yep. and he's the one doing this, you know, if you're going to be late next time, <laughs> bring a note. <laughs> he's awesome. I mean, it's all for show here. Obviously, he doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, do you concur? I can go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all this stuff, he just gets all his knowledge based off TV shows, even coming up with the when he for the law stuff. But, you know, he hooks up with Brenda. It's a bit of an interesting scene. It's quite sloppy, I must say. Well, apparently Spielberg told Amy Adams to kiss Frank as though she'd been starving for three days and he was a cheeseburger. Yeah, so... Very random. <laughs> very, very random. But here's where he has to go to the emergency room. and <laughs> He looks like he's ready to pass out. He did, He's not prepared for any of this. Yeah, and this was all in the book as well. Like he's afraid of the sight of blood and yep. all this stuff. So it's it's good. I mean, it's all it's, his funny, job is so pointless. There's funny parts <laughs> in this, like these two other young doctors. They're who, not that young. I know, but and he's like, oh, I blew it. God, yeah, why I, didn't I, should, I, con- I should have concurred. Why didn't I concur? <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna see in between Hanks and Walken here, where a couple of powerhouses. Yeah, so we get Carl asking Frank Senior about, and you know, do you know where your son is? All this sort of stuff, and. You know, obviously, Walken's like, oh, he's joined the Marines, he's blah, 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 yeah, whatever. Yeah, all, all like, full of crap. Lying comes very naturally. But Carl sees this letter and, like, Walken knows and he's like, 
you don't have any kids, do you? Like, I'm never going to give up my son. Good point. But Carl does have a kid. He has a daughter. Yeah, he does. Yeah. But I think it's still showing that he doesn't understand. I, th- I think it's just Frank Sr. describing his his side of the story. He doesn't even, it doesn't, doesn't matter if yeah. Yeah, Carl has the daughter or not. But yeah, he doesn't get that quick glimpse of where he is. I got to say, this whole Brenda, she was a big part of this, this uh, bit coming up now. This whole scene about her getting an abortion and her parents disowned her. Yeah. It was pretty rough. Rough as in for the character or for the story? Both. See, I completely forgot that he was using this whole setup to become a lawyer. This is an elongated scene to get to the point where he speaks to Martin Sheen's like, how do I get how do I get past the bar? Yeah. He's using Brenda, like he did Elizabeth Banks, to further his deceptions. Hmm. And I when I was watching it for the second time here, this this go around. I honestly thought that he was like he was doing it for her. Like, yeah, I want I want to meet your family. I want, I'm in love with you. I want to get married. I'm like, oh, he's really settled down here, and I love it. I love it how I know I'm skipping ahead for a second here, but I love it how when he, he is talking to her dad, Martin Sheen, and he's like, come on, I want to, I want to hear that question you want to ask me. He's like, and you think he's gonna be like, can I marry your daughter? He's like, yeah. That how do was I pass the bar? Like, how do I pass oh, the bar? Oh, that's what he's there for. Yeah, you sneaky bastard. That was a good scene. But again, maybe it's just a romantic in me. I think he does have some real feelings for Brenda. I think he does too. Because when he's going and he's like, he really wants her to get to the airport by herself. And I think if he didn't care for her. But I think that comes naturally over time. Like by that point, he's been with her for quite a while now. I think at this point, yeah, he has some affection, but he's, he's number one focus is becoming a lawyer. Yeah. And here's where we get this recurring question. We've fast forwarded back to the future with Carl asking Frank, how'd you, how'd you, how'd you cheat? How'd you get, how'd you pass the bar? And yeah. you don't find out. Until the very end, of course. But at this point, it's it's the thing that's on his mind the most. He can under he can figure out how he conned everything, except this. Yeah, because the only rational answer he won't believe that he actually studied and was smart enough to pass it. Yeah, but again, like like what he did as a doctor, watching Watches watching the old movies to yeah. find out how he to act in court, and the judge. How good is that? The judge is great. It's like, what is wrong with you? There is no jury. <laughs> it is just me. <laughs> How weird was this scene where they all start singing at the TVs? Brenda's sitting on her dad's lap and- I mean, they're super religious. That yeah. that was really Frank's weird. Frank's just sitting there like, oh, God. But then you get this scene of Frank watching the parents dance. Yeah. Which and it's, was, it's, uh, it's obviously rough for him. Like, no, he, he comes from a broken home now and, and he this is the overlying theme of this film. Like He wants his family to be together and seeing this family, it you know, tears him up a little bit inside. So he goes back and visits his dad. And he's a, he's a postal worker now, works for the government. Yep, nothing wrong with that. Well, there's nothing wrong with it at all. And we do find out that his mum did marry James Brolin. What was his name? What was that tough guy name he had? Was it Jack Barnes? Jack Barnes. Jack Barnes. Jack Barnes, FBI. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all it's all quite sad, this whole Frank and Walken interaction. He's saying he'll get back everything they took for, from them. You'll get him a brand new suit, you know. Mum will be really impressed. And it's just like, what are you doing, It's kid? done, mate. Like, it's over. How long has it been? Years. Exactly. But here's another Christmas phone call. This is where he seems a little bit. Oh, no. no. Before we get to that, this okay. is this is the end of that, that quote I brought up earlier where, where Frank says to his dad, like, ask me to stop. You know, like, ask me to stop doing this. And Walken's like, you, you can't stop. Mm. Like, there's no way you can stop this. Come on, Frank, where are you going? Where are you going? Where you going tonight? Someplace exotic? Where you going tonight? Tahiti, Hawaii? And it's real, it's almost an attack at this point where the first time was asked with admiration. Yeah. He, all that's gone now. Like, I think Walken's really 
sort of realising what's happening in regards to his son. Because he's been told by Carl at this point how bad his situation is. And he's just like, where are you going? Like, you're pathetic. That's, <laughs> that's the way I took that. Yeah, that second no, no, way. it's and the I right thought, way to take I, it. I thought it was really good. Now, Christmas. The phone Go. call. You can you can tell how desperate Frank is now. He's like, please stop chasing me. I've, I'm done. Like, I'll, 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 you know, let's leave it at that. I'm done. Let's part ways. And, and Frank's like, no, no, this, you, you don't realize what you've done. This is jail. You are going to jail. Yeah. Just laying it down. It's okay, Carl. I just thought I'd ask. <laughs> yeah. Weird conversation. But it's not too long before Carl shows up at the party. Yeah. The engagement party. I mean, for his, to his credit, Carl's actually a really good FBI agent. Oh, he's fantastic. Like you do find out earlier that he's he's got an illustrious career at the FBI and his boss has warned him, like, don't take this. Because, don't humiliate yeah. yourself, yeah. Don't put yourself in a position to be humiliated. That's yeah, what he says, which exactly. is a good line as well. But he manages to get out, jumping out the window with a, a quick little goodbye to Brenda. This whole, meet you at the airport in a couple of days. Did he really think that was going to happen, that it was going to go down so smoothly? I mean, to be fair, yeah, everything I, he's I done so he far has yeah. been quite smooth. Exactly. That's a great point. He's yeah. never lost his kid. Yeah. All right, so everything he tries to organise has worked out perfectly for him. But in saying that, he's not an idiot either, and he doesn't just rush to her. He no. sits back, he has his binoculars, he looks around. Does he have binoculars? No, he didn't get the binoculars out in time. He doesn't, does he? The no. cops on the roof have them. Yeah. And he's like, oh, no, okay. She's he's got to go. Cops. Yeah. But now he's in a bit of a predicament. Yes, he is. Because that is the airport that he needs to get out of, and he's got to think of a way to sneak past. And what better way than to do it in plain sight? It's fantastic. Hiring these stewardesses or these people for potential stewardesses, using them as a distraction. (laughs) And having Carl and the cops run out at that point as well to the car. Yeah. The, this the this fake guy, guy just paid me like ten bucks to stand here with us with a in the uniform and the sign. I'm the waiting for someone. <laughs> so good. He really makes a fool out of him. But we head forward to seven months later. Yep, and he's in we're in Paris, France again. Montechard, France. Oh yeah, probably not Paris. Yes, but France nonetheless. Yes. Yeah, the town where his parents met. And that's basically how Frank figures it out. It's probably got- my least favorite scene of the film. I must say, I really don't like this. You have to catch me first. It was. Weird. Honestly, when I saw that, I was like, I feel like they just had that for the trailer. Like the movie's called oh, Catch yeah, Me okay. If You Can. Well, you have to catch me first. And they're running around this printing mill. It's like, fuck off. Like, <laughs> I know that it's a playful film. I know that the character of Frank is very um, uppity and boisterous. But yeah, I didn't buy that. Like, what do you think? Well, it's probably the worst part of the film. But I like how Carl is telling the truth. He's like, there's a whole bunch of Cops here ready to kill you if you don't come out with me. They're they're, they're frustrated and annoyed that they've, you've done this to them. So please come with me or it's going to end badly. But it clearly sounds like a lie. And of course Frank is going to think it's all bullshit. Because he lives on bullshit. Yes, exactly. Like he just expects something like that to be a lie. but Because that's what he would do. He would lie about it and that's how he would you know, solve yeah. his problem. But I love the fake out. How he goes out there and there's no cars. He's like, well done. Well done, Carl. You did good. Nope, they all rock up. Yeah, and we get a cameo here from the real Frank Abagnale Jr. Yes, as we the do. French police arresting officer. But now we get back to the real timeline, where we, where we should be. In the aeroplane? Yes. Where Frank says, oh, let me talk to my father before he sees me on TV or something mm-hmm. like that. And you're like, as soon as Carl like pauses, I was like, oh, fuck, he's dead. Yeah, I forgot about that. Like, that is rough. Like yeah. this whole thing, not the whole thing, but the, the relationship between father and son plays such a massive part in this film. And for it just to be told to him on a plane by the guy who's caught him, it's oh, terrible. I love how he tries to escape here. 
through the toilet. I don't even know you could do that. Tries. Like, he does a fucking great job. It's amazing how he does it. How funny is it when, like, the plane's landing and you see him, like, crawling out from, like, near the wheels, like, leaping down. It's so good when Carl is in the aeroplane. He looks out the window and you just see, like, Frank just (laughs) running away. (laughs) You son of a bitch. But he goes to his mum's house. Yeah, I mean, obviously at this point, this is someone who doesn't mind being caught. He's done. Yeah, yeah he knows. He can't he's, get away any longer. He's not running away to not be found. He's running away because he wants to see his mum. Yeah, has a new sister. <sighs> I mean... What do you do here? Like, she's his mum has obviously completely just forgotten about him. No, it's, I don't think it's her fault. Like, he has not... He ran away. He has not reached out to it's his mum. It's a very good point, actually. Okay, like, I know it's... Because I watched this and I was like, man, that mum's a bit of a bitch. But then I was thinking about it and I was like, not really. Like, yeah, she was cheating on it, his dad and that's, yeah. that sucks. But, you know. Since then, she's moved on with her life. She married. Yeah, she, she married. She, yeah. she, she's got a kid. Like, you know, there's only so much you could do. Yeah, and, you know, the mother offers to help when the police come. She yeah. doesn't realise how much she needs to pay, but... <laughs> You know, and I, I like that. This is probably runner-up for excellent for me where he's in the cop car and he looks back and the mum's standing at the door and she she can't can't see who it is. No. I'm, I'm sure she has some idea. She'd have to. But it was it was a nice moment. Genuine, you could say. But the sentence is carried out. Oh, this sentence is ridiculous. 12 years in isolation. That that's That's so harsh. Well, he's been known to escape a lot. Yeah, but it's a prison. Like, they're built so that you can't escape. Although what? Have you not seen Prison Break? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I guess as well at that point, I think it was probably easier to escape from prison back then than it would be now. Yes. So maybe fair enough. I don't know. 12 years is a long time though. But uh, does he end up doing the 12 years because no, he, he does, starts no, helping no, 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 out? No, 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 yeah. no, no, no. Definitely not. Because he serves a remainder under Carl's- F- FBI wing, whatever. No, what's, what's the word? Um, guard- Guardianship. Okay. Yeah, but he can't really deal with this- mundane life i guess like he's so used to the thrill and excitement of traveling the world as this pilot like even when he goes past the the store and sees the pilot uniform he just remembers all those great times he had and he tries to escape but carl's onto him right away yeah and that was that was something different where carl's like listen i'm not going to stop you you can do what you want you need to be at your desk monday morning though yeah, but he's basically saying like... I wasn't a if, huge fan of the fake out on the Monday morning. Though. If you if you get on this plane, you'll be dead. You yeah. will die. I like how there is some sort of connection here between them, though. How he does tell him, like, I've got a daughter that I barely see anymore. Like, my, I've divorced my wife. Like, she's moved on. They have that sort of connection there where he's sort of become the father figure to, to Frank. Yeah, well, it does say in the text at the end that they remained friends to this day. Probably not still, but... No. It was... You know, yeah, they obviously have a great relationship. And for what it's worth, I do like the scenes at the end of this film where you actually see Frank being useful and yeah, putting all this knowledge to legitimate, like, work. Yeah. When he's impressing, like, Carl's boss about what he knows, mm-hmm. what he can tell by just looking at it. It's it's good stuff. It is good stuff. And we find out apparently he didn't cheat on the bar exam, but they leave that little slither of doubt where Carl's like, is that true? Are you telling me the truth there? And he doesn't answer him. So we'll never know. But you do find out through the usual true story text at the end that, you know, he was with the FBI for a very long time after that, helping hundreds and thousands of fraud cases, ended up making millions of dollars. That's weird that they put that, made millions per year. Based off these new, like, fraud-free checks that it's he made. very, very odd that they would say, hey, but he got really rich yeah. from it. <laughs> like- he did all this terrible stuff, but he turned good at the end and made tons of money off the, stu- off the stuff that he learnt when he was bad. Yeah, and that's the movie. Yeah. Any last words? 
Hendo, what do you got? Yeah, for me, this is a highly entertaining, fun, and well-paced film. DiCaprio and Hanks put in good performances. Not career best, but still very good. I think the ensemble cast works really well together whenever any of them are on screen. you always got to love some walking. I mean, you know, any movie with walking bumps it up a little bit. And I think the actual use of time cuts works surprisingly well as you get to see how the relationship between Frank and Carl slowly evolves to where you know where it's going to end up. There's a strong theme of troubled childhoods, broken homes, and watching Frank go through these hard times in his life with his parents getting divorced gives him an extra level of sympathy so it doesn't feel as bad when he does all this illegal activity. Like he's not just on the run from the law, but he's on the run from his past, his troubled past as well. But it's not just with Frank, it's also shown a little bit with Carl and his troubled relationship with his daughter and his divorce, and that helps them connect towards the end when Carl becomes a somewhat father figure. I think the score by John Williams is great. I think the opening credits is highly innovative. I think this is just generally a really good film, super easy watch for practically anyone. I give it three and a half. What about you, mate? Yeah, for me, it's I, t- I tend to agree with all of what you said, to be honest. I think it is it's surprisingly deep. Like I didn't realise how much, not darkness, but more morose uh, events that are taking place in regards to all the troubled family life. I'd forgotten how great Walken was in it, which is nice. As you say, like, they're not career-best performances by any stretch from Hanks or Leo. I I found Leo quite good, though. Elizabeth Banks is always annoying, but no, the score is good. I think, I don't know, it's one of these funny movies where there's, you know, what's wrong with this film? Not a lot. Yeah, not a lot. It's a long movie, but I didn't feel it to be long. Not me neither. It's enjoyable. I just, I'm so on the edge between a strong three and a half or a weak four. Yeah, I'm going to say I'll give it four stars. Cool. Yeah, I thought that's what you were going to come in with. But honestly, like, undecided till that very moment. (laughs) Four stars. It's a well-made film. It looks really good. The story's great. Yeah, four stars. Four stars from me, Hendo. Very good. I was the best because the crowd loved me. All right, Dean, where's this going to sit on your rankings? All right, for me, let's start at Toy Story 3, which is the number 24 film. Uh, Yeah, it is better than Toy Story 3. Just. Then we're up against Mad Max Fury Road, which is the number 23 film, and that's where it's going to stop. So, as I said, week four star, but the new number 24 out of 44 films now, Hendo. What about you, Hendo? All right, let's start off against Wild Tales at number 39, and I do think it's better than that. You're starting at 39. That's the tier it's at. Wow. It's also better than Ben-Hur, Singing in the Rain. Cool hand, Luke. Yep, it's better than Yojimbo. And then it gets to City Lights, and I do think it is better than City Lights. Moving on to Paths of Glory, and yes, it is better than Paths of Glory. And that's where it's going to stop. I don't think it's as good as Django Unchained. So I put Catch Me If You Can as my new number 33 out of 44. Fair enough. Seems a little low, but okay. Well, that's where it is. All right, mate, it's time for our weekly podcast shout-out, and this week it is for Stephen Mark over at the Movie Drone Podcast. Yes, the Movie Drone Podcast. These guys, they're really, I think they're really on point with their opinions. I think they they know what's going on more than most, so I, I do enjoy listening to these guys. Yeah, a couple of Brits who just shoot the shit, talk some movies. That's what you want, that's what you love, and they're fantastic at it. It's their bread and butter. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll play their promo now. Go ahead and check them out, and we'll be back on the other side. Have time for another podcast and enjoy listening to two idiots discussing films? Then look no further. 
We Are Movie Drone podcast, two mates sitting down to discuss new releases, nostalgic films and anything and everything in between. He's Steve and he's Mark. Together we answer listener questions and set each other homework, giving each other a film to watch that the other hasn't seen in the hope of unearthing hidden gems. You can download us on iTunes, Podbean, as well as Google search us to find us on loads of different platforms. Or email moviedronepodcast at hotmail.com. I think that's all. No chance, mate. Huh? You've forgotten everyone's favourite feature, Mark's movie impressions. Oh, I'd hope you've forgotten it too, to be honest. No chance of that, mate. You think you should do one. I hate you. Come on, mate. Show them what you got. Oh, you're not bad. Oh, you're not bad. You're Adrian. <laughs> And if that hasn't put you off, give us a try. There's a small chance you won't regret it. Hey, listeners, we just want to take a quick second here to thank you for taking the time out of your day to come and listen to us banter on about movies and all things movie-related. Yeah, it really does mean a lot to the both of us. We're always looking to improve our show and get our name out there, and there's a couple of ways you can help us. Yeah, one of the easiest ways is to just get the word of mouth out there. Let your family and friends know about the show and where they can find us, which is pretty much everywhere. Places like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and my new favourite way of listening to the show, which is Podcoin. Now, Dean, we both listen to a lot of podcasts ourselves so how can we not love this new podcast app that literally pays you as you listen yeah podcoin have taken the next step in your listening experience by letting you earn podcoins gradually as you listen which you can then exchange for rewards like amazon gift cards or even let you donate to various charities sounds great to me mate you can download the podcast app right now on your iphone or android device and if you sign up using the code imdb journey you'll get 300 podcoin to get you started it's a great way to listen to our show and all the other amazing podcasts out there too Amazing. And if you'd like to get a hold of us, you can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash imdbjourney, our Facebook page at facebook.com slash imdbjourney, our letterbox pages where we keep our film diaries up to date. I am at letterbox.com slash dino underscore j88. Really rolls off the tongue. And you can find Hendo at letterbox.com slash Hendo. Exactly. Another way to help us out is to leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes for us. And like we've said, if you screenshot your review and DM us on Twitter or Facebook, we'll send you out some sweet merch. We've actually got three new reviews this week, Dean. First one here from Alex P. Bailey. I found this pod. Bailey, 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 Bailey. (laughs) I found this pod on Podcoin. Nice. Y'all are very informative. So far, there have been three reviews y'all have done that I have not seen the movie and wasn't able to listen to. I'm an Uber Lyft driver and a bit of a movie guru and considering starting my own podcast. I'm from Malden, South Carolina. I've got about seven more episodes to go and then I'm all caught up and then be waiting week to week for the next episode. But very entertaining show. Keep it up. Love y'all. Peace, love and chicken grease. I love that. What a, what a, what a review there. I've never seen y'all written so much. <laughs> No, thanks so much. We really appreciate uh, your love and support. Next up from David Powell. One of the best movie podcasts you'll ever find. Hugely entertaining week after week. Dean and Daniel haha, have a great repertoire and cram an incredible amount into every episode. Reviews, games, polls, guests, you name it. Highly recommended. Thanks so much, David. Thank you really very much, appreciate Dave. appreciate those kind words. And our last one here from the Movie Drone Podcast. Great podcast that is a huge amount of fun. Pod v Pod episodes are brilliant. This will soon become your go-to podcast and the host will seem like your best mates. Go listen now. 
Thank you very much, Steve and Mark. Really appreciate it. We love having best mates. Or if you're really loving the content and are looking for more, why not check out our Patreon, where we post another weekly show, breaking down films not on a top 250 list. Yeah, we've actually got over 50 episodes on there now. We've gone through some notable directors' filmographies, such as Wes Anderson, Edgar Wright, and even Quentin Tarantino. That's right. There's also tons of other benefits over there. Early access to our main show, patron-only polls that we put up on the regular. Yeah, exactly. You can also shape the show the way you want it to be by telling us what what films you would like us to break down. So what's coming up this week, mate? Well, Dean, this week on our Patreon is our patron requested review. And this one's coming from Another Digital Citizen. And he has selected Paul Thomas Anderson's Punch Drunk Love. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's our first Paul Thomas Anderson film we'll be doing. Maybe a director series coming up, Hendo? Who knows? Maybe. <laughs> he, has a, he has a few in the top 250, does he? At least one. <laughs> In all honesty, I think it is just one. Just the one? I think it's just There Will Be Blood. Hmm. Fair enough. Maybe. Maybe we might go do some more Paul Thomas Anderson over there. Absolutely. So if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, head on over to patreon.com slash imdbjourney and check out the myriad of rewards and benefits we have to offer. All right, mate, it's time for... We may still have mail. Mail, mail, mail. Here it is. And this could be it. And we've got some reviews here for Catch Me If You Can. Let's start off on Twitter. First one from David Powell. My man. As with the TV show Scorpio, I don't much care how factually accurate or inaccurate this film is. It's just hugely enjoyable rooting for this bold-as-brass rascal to stay one step ahead of Johnny Law. Rocks on the Leo and Hank's double act. Well said. Next up, from Julio at the Contrarians, it's all about the walking in this one. You know, it's all about the walking. <laughs> that and the bombshell scene with Jennifer Garner. Well, well there you go. That's a standout. Now, let's take a look over on our Patreon. Here's one from Chris Beardsall. In my opinion, this is the last great Spielberg film, endlessly rewatchable and with a great dynamic between DiCaprio and Hanks. I think the best thing this film has going for it is its pacing. I never feel the length of this film when I watch it. John Williams has already done plenty of legendary compositions for Spielberg films, but I think the score for this film is quite underrated. I have no complaints about this film, but there's still something holding me back from giving this a full five-star banger. Still a solid four and a half out of five for me. Thank you very much, everyone, for putting in your reviews there, but of course we've got... This is an inoffensive mainstream drama centering on the true story of fraudster Frank Abagnale. There is a lot of sympathy handed out to the criminal, given his young age. The film almost makes his activities a game of fun, with Tom Hanks' FBI agent being his opponent, where the story winds up with the pair working together at the end, and apparently good friends long after. You could certainly argue the film makes light of Abagnale's affairs. The cast is very likeable, with Hanks and DiCaprio giving general performances. Walken supporting as Frank's father probably gives the best performance. Spielberg's direction packages the tale for worldwide consumption. (laughs) I'd say it's fairly entertaining and enjoyable, given the efforts of those involved. Does it belong on anyone's greatest movie of all time list? Not really. The film's good, better than okay, but it's a bit plain. Not a whole lot of emotion that sticks. And there isn't anything about it that particularly stands out. It's just very watchable. Not much else to say. So that's three and a half from Shane. Very good review, Shane. Thanks, Shane. All right, it's time for... That's my question! The question, jerk! Where we asked you, what is your favourite cat and mouse film? Now let's take a look at some responses that weren't either of our number one picks. First one here from Doug Worth. This is probably the hardest list ever. I'm going old boy. Fair enough. From Casey Suge. 
Oh, okay then. The Shawshank Redemption. Not necessarily a cat and mouse movie in the classic <laughs> sense, but it sure feels like it. I would not put that as a cat and mouse film. Me neither. Low Carb Monster 8 says Rambo First Blood. Oh, good call. Mm. Good call. I like Rambo First Blood. Scott Winnie says The French Connection. I do like The French Connection. I do not I like The French don't. Connection. I know you don't. Interpreting the Stars says Catch Me If You Can, absolutely. If you don't agree, you're wrong. Fair enough. Straight to the point. From Movie Geek and Proud, Death Note from 2006. The Battle of Wits, Cat and Mouse film. Kevin J. Ryan says, great topic and a tough call, but I'll go with Vertigo. Classic. Different. Joey Hoff says, this is an irresponsible (laughs) question. There are entirely too many amazing movies and no correct answer. That being said, it's heat. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome patron Cinema Recall says, I saw The Devil is in my top spot and I'm guessing it's the same for others as well. I have not seen I Saw The Devil. Me neither. Sorry, mate. Gregory O'Neill says, The Fugitive. It's a good call. Is it? It's a cat and mouse film. It's okay. Still Mellow says the clear winner is Rambo First Blood. Powerful story elevated by a perfect performance from Stallone. So much better than its trashy sequels. Mm. Pinter Comics says to catch a thief. I don't think I've seen that. I don't think I have either. Interesting. All right, let's take a look over on Facebook and we've got one here from Tom Powell. Catch me if you can. Over on the Patreon, we've got one from Ben Mulverhill, No Country for Old Men. The hotel scene is probably the best cat and mouse moment I've witnessed. Great scene. Good take there. Brother Shane says, heat. Josephine Olnett says, so many great ones, but The Fugitive is just so perfect. Even though I know what happens, I am always riveted from start to finish when I watch that. Amazing performances from Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones. Oh, I'm pretty sure you just said you didn't really like The Fugitive. No, an- another, think, another notch on Josephine's belt there. I think I said I, I didn't like it. I loved it <laughs> is, what I, is where I was going, but you cut me off. So just to clear that one up, Josephine. <laughs> Paul at the Countdown Podcast says Predator. Chris Beardsell says Zodiac. Julio from The Contrarian says, how about Taken? Cat and Mice? Unless you consider the daughter the mouse. It's an interesting, interesting take. And lastly, from Brian Grabianowski, The Game. Thank you very much, everyone, for putting in a response. But, Dean, let's get to our top five cat and mouse films. All right, mate, let's kick it off with you as usual. What is your number five? Hello to my seat. It's LA Confidential. For anyone who didn't get that. Which is probably most people. Probably. My number five is No Country for Old Men. Nice. My number four, T2. Interesting. My number four, The Departed. Number four. Yes, that's what I said. Mm. Number three for me, Heat. Ooh, good film. Didn't make my list. Oh, what? <laughs> this is a great list, by the way. Like, I had to carve off a... Yeah, I, tell me about it. My number three, Silence of the Lambs. Not bad, not bad. My number two is seven. Interesting choice. My number two is T2, Judgment Day. Dum-dum-dum-dum-dum. And my number one, without doubt, The Departed. Ooh, that means we have different movies this time. Yes, we do. My number one is Seven. Fair enough. Well, it was my number two, so you're not too far off. All right, mate, let's take a look at the competition results and see who's going to win this one. And we had about 70 responses, roughly. And out of all those responses, four people got our number one picks right. So let's put these names in a random number generator and pull one out. And the winner is the DVD Lowdown. Nice. Congrats to DVD Lowdown. Yes, we'll get a hold of you and we'll send you out some sweet, sweet merch. All right, it's time to find out next week's question of the week. Dean, give me a number between 1 and 50. I'll say 34. All right, it's going to be, what is your favourite film adapted from a comic book? Mm, I assume we're just doing comic book characters. Like, we're not going to say, like, this story from a comic book. 
it's a film that's adapted from a comic book. It doesn't, okay. have, it doesn't have to be character. So what I'm saying is, like, does all the MCU qualify? Even though those stories may not necessarily be in a comic book, all the characters No, are. I would say that they qualify because they're adapted from Marvel Comics. Yeah, so that's what I'm asking. I, I yes. take it we're just taking characters. Sure, whatever you want to do. Okay, yep, fair enough. We're both masters. Who won? How did it end? All right, mate, it's time to find out the results of last week's Pod v Pod 26 draft between us and Julio and Alex at the Contrarians in... Films directed by actors. And we were team one, and we had Braveheart, Get Out, Unforgiven, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, and Iron Man. And the Contrarians were team two. They had Gone Baby Gone, Tropic Thunder, That Thing You Do, Booksmart, and Apollo 13. See, That Thing You Do had an exclamation point in it, so you need to say it as That Thing You Do. Do I? (laughs) (laughs) Very good. All right, let's take a look at some responses. First one here from the Ghost of the Stratosphere podcast, Team IMDb by a bloody mile. I love Tropic Thunder, but Team IMDb is just stacked. Next up from What Should We Watch? You guys are breaking my heart here. That thing you do is one of my favourite movies and I love Tom Hanks, but when it comes to which team is the strongest, I'm going to have to go with Team IMDb Journey. Sorry, Tom, I still love you. He's not listening. (laughs) (laughs) Amy Smith says, Get out and Iron Man? Team IMDb wins for sure but I would have picked A Star Is Born to be on my list. Well, it was close. We had it there on the short list. Louis Rehm says, The Contrarians get my vote because of that thing you do, amongst others. That always makes me smile. Well, fair enough. The Cinema Guy says, Holy Grail will always get my vote. David Powell says, I am Debbie Journey. So far in front, they may actually be closer to the next polls teams than to the Contrarians team in this one. Ouch! Gidget Von LaRue says Braveheart and Holy Grail has it won for Team IMDb for me. The Mayor of Nilbog says IMDb Journey, although the Contrarians almost got my vote on Booksmart alone. Gregory O'Neill says Team Contrarian for me. In Session Film says Team IMDb Journey for me. Both teams have solid arguments, but Get Out and Unforgiven are masterpieces as far as I'm concerned. Holy Grail is one of the best of its kind too. Good work, fellas. Thanks, JD. Rob Manifield says, Team IMDb, it's not even close. We Watched a Thing says, Both excellent lists, but Team IMDb, Journey is just too strong for me. Here's one from Jamie. Unforgiven is the one that put me to Team IMDb, Journey. Ian Bullocklock says, This is easy for me. Team IMDb, Journey. Mackenzie Lambert says, Team IMDb, Journey by far, but Tropic Thunder is an inspired choice. Ooh, an inspired choice. I like that. And lastly, we had a bit of a... Interesting uh, little interaction on Twitter here. It started off from the Aussie Nerds podcast saying, Booksmart is so good, plus Dean and Dan need to lose for once. Now, this is a blind draft, so we don't put our names to either of the lists. So we kind of asked, how do you know we're not that team? And I think the response here was fantastic. One of the best responses we've ever got. What was it, Hendo? Because that team is losing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I appreciate the faith there. (laughs) Fantastic response. And let's take a look at the results. It hasn't changed. 81% to us. That is a big, big win. Is this our biggest ever? This is a tie for the biggest win for us. The other team that lost was the Casual Cinecast back Uh, in the day. Fair enough. Yes, but uh, unlucky to Alex and Julio, but still. I mean, it's twice now. Is it it luck at this point, Hendo? I'm just trying to be nice, all right? (laughs) (laughs) There's this tournament. Let the tournament! 
All right, mate, it's time to find out the results of the back half of the final 32 in our best 1990s film tournament. First match here was very close. Schindler's List narrowly beats the Sixth Sense 58% to 42. Yeah, I was a bit rough on that one. I did pick the Sixth Sense. Uh, next up, we had American History X defeating Princess Mononoke, 57% to 43. Goodfellas takes that unforgiven with 68% of the victory. Science of Lambs knocks out Goodwill Hunting, 69% victory. Pulp Fiction with a blowout against Big Lebowski, 78% to 22. Gee, it was a blowout in the end. It started super close. Yeah. Uh, what do we got next? Oh, this is a good one. The Usual Suspects up against American Beauty. And with a win percentage of 55, it was The Usual Suspects. I think American Beauty was up for a a fair while there, Mm. came back. Here's another blowout. The Matrix takes that before sunrise, 78%. And lastly, probably the biggest, well, not probably, definitely the biggest shock of the uh, the draft so far for me. We had Saving Private Ryan up against Toy Story, and Saving Private Ryan is out. Toy Story won. 53%. 53%. Wow, I am shocked at that one. I'm very shocked. That's massive. But that brings us to our final 16, Dean. Now let's take a look at these matches. First one, Jurassic Park against Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Huge. Seven against LA Confidential. Another Kevin Spacey off. <laughs> no comment. Next one, Fight Club against Leon the Professional. Forrest Gump takes on Reservoir Dogs. I know you are hoping for a certain film to win there. Well, I don't think I'm alone in my uh, opinion that Reservoir Dogs is better than Forrest Gump, Endo. No, I'm with you there. Oh, good. (laughs) Next match here is Schindler's List against American History X. Next up, Goodfellas takes on Silence of the Lambs. Oh, man, that is rough. How about this one? Oh, Oh, my God. This is even rougher. (laughs) Pulp Fiction against The Usual Suspects. Damn. (laughs) And lastly here, the Matrix up against Toy Story, and who knows how far the little engine that could will go. Well, we'll find out soon enough, won't we? Yes, we will. Now, as some of you should know, we do have a daily poll going on over on Twitter with the director's series. And we just recently capped off our Steven Spielberg tournament with 32 of his films. And as usual, Dean and I do our own little brackets to see who's going to win overall, to see who's going to give the other one a movie to watch. And... In the end, Jurassic Park won against Jaws in the final two, which was quite shocking considering uh, Jaws took out Saving Private Ryan halfway through it. Well, maybe that's... Knocked out Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, it's big. Yeah, but I think you had it won when Saving Private Ryan got taken out. That was my big big bracket buster. Yeah. So you win this Spielberg tournament while I'm mate. Fantastic. So you get to give me a film to watch. What's it going to be, mate? Um, I'm actually going to be really nice. Cool. I'm going to pick a film from this year. Okay. Yeah, so... Hey, do you want to do that? Because if it's a film that you know I'm going to watch anyway, do you want to waste your, your spot? I'm not sure that you would watch it. Oh, am I nervous now? It's The Fanatic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, I, I might have watched that. Like, I might have hate-watched that at some point. So. What are you going to now? <laughs> <laughs> I need it's, films to put at the bottom of my list anyway. It's a John Travolta film, and it looks so bad. Do you know who it's directed by? Uh Fred Durst? Yeah, Fred Durst of Limp Biscuit fame. Yeah. I saw the trailer for it a while ago. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. This looks like I want to watch this. (laughs) (laughs) And now you will. All right. So, what's next? All right, Hendo, end the suspense. What are we breaking down in two weeks' time? I'm not going to elongate this response. I'm going to have another crack at it. Infernal Affairs. Let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Yeah. But now that we clearly see it's on the list... I'm picking it. It's locked in, all right? We've had many films now that have dropped out of the list. If this drops out in the next two weeks, I don't give a shit. We're still doing it. I think that's a good rule to stick by as well. So if 
as of recording, if it's in our top 250, we can pick it and we will stick with it. Fantastic. So, in two weeks' time, we'll do Infernal Affairs. Sounds good. But next week, it's Pod v Pod 27. We've got another amazing guest lined up to take us on in a good battle. And we'll also be talking about what else we've been watching. Now, it's uh, quite at small this, at the moment. At this point, it could be a very short segment. <laughs> I think I've got two films to talk about. I am at a solid zero. Wow. All right. got to get some films going. But that is going to do it. Thank you very much, Dean. Always fun. Thank you, Hendo. It's been a privilege and a pleasure. And thank you to all your listeners out there for checking out the episode. And we will see you next time for Pod v Pod 27. Bye. Bye.